Welcome to episode 571 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard, and this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. I'm kind of tripping over that intro tonight because I'm doing it instead of Richard. Unfortunately, Richard had, had, well, he had planned to be here, but unfortunately, he couldn't make it tonight. Life is just crazy right now. So it didn't quite work out for him. Hopefully, he will be back soon. Now, one thing that's a little bit different is we have some listener feedback this week. So this was sent in to us at entertainment20 at thedigitalmediazone.com. This was sent from longtime listener John, and this was in response to the tip that we got on the previous episode about the app for using your photos from various photo sources as a screensaver on Android TV. He says, Hi Josh, thanks for the tip on the NVIDIA Shield screensaver. I just got it up and running running and pointed to my photos on my Unraid box. It seems to be working great. This will be one more step away from Media Center, which I am still using with the My Memories app to display my photos as the screensaver. That combination was the best ever, and I'm still sorry to see it go. Meanwhile, Media Center is still cranking away just fine and is powered by my first-generation Seton cable card adapter. I can't believe that thing is still working. Catch you in the live chat soon. Wow, John, so many great things there. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear the NVIDIA Shield screensaver thing is working out well for you. Actually, I tried setting this up for myself, and regardless of whether I use that that screensaver app that we talked about on the previous episode or the built-in screensaver stuff on my NVIDIA Shield, it never turns on. And I did a little bit of digging. It sounds like for me, it's it's probably related to something else that's, that's um, telling it to not actually go to sleep at all, which is probably related to me using my NVIDIA Shield as a Plex server or as a channel server. You know, there's a lot of things going on on that box. So it just never turns the screensaver on for me. So I'm glad to hear it's working out for you. It's not working out well for me. Uh, I also absolutely second everything you said about the My Memories app developed by a friend of the show, someone who, Mark Turberg, someone who I've had the pleasure of meeting a couple of times. Uh, hopefully he's still doing well. Uh, and yeah, I, I absolutely miss Media Center also. But man, maybe the most surprising thing is that you're still using that first generation Seton cable card tuner on your Windows Media Center PC. I think those came out in 2008, 2009. It was a long, long, long time ago. So that's impressive, and I'm glad to hear that it's still working out so well for you. Okay, so let's move on to the news. We'll have all of the rest of our contact information at the end of the show. First up on the video news side, F1 TV. This is the streaming service for Formula One racing. 
they've launched their app on a few more platforms. So when F1 TV first launched, it was basically just a mobile app. And then it was, I believe, made available in the browser. And then last month, they launched it on Apple Apple TV and Roku, but only in some territories. Now they're expanding it out. It's available on Amazon Fire TV and Google TV devices. So between those four platforms, you're pretty much going to be able to watch it on probably like you probably own a device that you could stream Formula One TV on at this point. So this is not a free service, though. So if you want to watch Formula One TV, then you're going to have two different options here. They have F1 TV Access and F1 TV Pro. The Access version is going to set you back $2.99 a month. The Pro version is $9.99 a month. The 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 $3 a month access plan, it's going to get you, you know, thousands of hours of Formula One related content. It'll get you access to some archived F1 races, and it will get you live timing during the Grand Prix. But if you want to actually watch the races live, that's where you need to bump up to the $9.99 a month pro plan that gets you the live races. It also gets you archived races going all the way back to 1970. So if you are a huge F1 fan, this might be a great option for you. And if if F1 is like the only reason that you're still keeping a paid TV service around, or maybe it's the primary reason, well, for $10 a month, you can watch everything. This seems like a really, really great option for the dedicated Formula One fan who really wants to be a cord cutter or maybe just wants to scale back their cords. You know, maybe you've got a a paid TV service, but you're paying for an extra package just to have access to the the channels that have Formula One. Well, maybe you don't need to pay for those anymore and you just get the Formula One TV app. And if you're thinking, this is really bad timing, like it's November, Josh, shouldn't this season be over? It's actually not. There's like three or four more races left this season. So still plenty of time to check this out. And then of course, let us know how it works out for you. Recently, we've talked about how the Google TV app on Android had been updated to work as a remote control for your Google TV or Android TV devices. And now Google has added that same capability to the Google Home application. So if you're not using Google TV and and maybe you thought that that was not a super intuitive way for you to use a remote control on your phone, well, maybe you think the Google Home app is a better option. If so, Pull out your phone because it's available now. The way that it works is when you open up Google Home, you will just scroll through your giant list of, I mean, I'm assuming it's a giant list of devices. My list is pretty long. And find your Google TV or Android TV device. So this this does work with NVIDIA Shield. It would work with the Chromecast, uh, with Google TV. All of those things should work here. Open up that device and then 
you're going to have a remote control button. I, I think it just says open remote uh, at the, the bottom of the screen there. And when you tap that for the first time, it's going to send you through a pairing process where it's going to display a six character code on screen. And then you have to type that in on your phone. And now your phone is connected and you only have to do that once. You don't have to do that every time or anything like that. Just do it one time and you're good to go. The one thing that's maybe a little bit unexpected with this app is that it doesn't have a D-pad, which you might expect because a remote control normally has a D-pad for navigating through the menus. You can still navigate through the menus. You just do it using swipes. So instead of having a button on the right to go to the right, you swipe to the right. It works fine. I... Like I, I think this makes sense. Like it, it should be there as part of Google Home, but I just don't look at the Google Home app for whatever reason. I, I don't, I don't even know why, but I, I just can't put my head into this place of like, yeah, I would totally use the Google Home app as the remote control for my Android TV device. It doesn't make any sense. Like I opened the Harmony app on my phone and I use the Google Home app to control lights and my thermostat and things like that. So I don't know. That's probably just me. For everybody else, you're probably thinking, Josh, you're just crazy. Yeah, this this sounds good. I'll totally use this. The The one thing that I will probably use this for is it gives you a little keyboard button, which pops up your phone's on-screen keyboard, which is obviously about a bajillion times easier to type things in on than it does using a traditional remote on your television screen. So that's that's the biggest reason I think you would want to go ahead and use that. But if you did like the Google TV app, well, there's another reason to go and pop into that app. So I think that the the biggest reason to use the Google TV app is when you are talking with friends or browsing the web or whatever, and you hear about a show or a movie that you want to watch, you can look it up in the Google TV app and then add it to your watch list. And it'll tell you what services have it, if it's something that you have to pay for, whether to buy or to rent, and it'll tell you how much it costs on what services have it, all of that. It's great. The app has also had things built in for a long time that'll tell you, you know, like say it's a movie and it'll tell you that that movie is on sale so that you can buy it at a lower price. It's a really nice feature to have. I've done that for a lot of the Fast and the Furious movies, (laughs) but they've added another really, really awesome feature. So if you have something on your list, but it's currently only available as something that's a, you know, pay to rent or pay to buy. It's not on Netflix or Hulu or one of those types of services. It will now, it has an option that's enabled by default that says it will send you a notification when that show or movie is available to watch for free. And I'm putting that in quotes for free because What it means by for free is it's been added to one of those subscription services, Netflix, Hulu, Paramount Plus. I mean, there's so many different services it could be on at this point. It's hard to rattle them all off. But I still put that in quotes because Netflix isn't 
free. Hulu isn't free. It's just no additional cost on top of what you're already paying those services. So it feels free, I guess. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with them calling that for free. I think this is a really great feature. I'm really glad that it's enabled by default. If for some reason you don't like this feature, you can turn it off, but I don't know why you would want to. Uh, The other potential use case here is, say there's a movie that's about to come out, which this time of year, there's a lot of movies that are about to come out because so many movies come out around Christmas. And you're not someone who's going to go and see it in the theaters and you don't even really want to pay for it when it first uh, comes to uh, the services where you could rent it. Put it in your, your watch list now and in six months when it shows up on Netflix or Amazon Prime or something like that. And I could be totally off by that that time period. I don't know how long it typically takes the movie to show up on Netflix. When it finally arrives there, it'll notify you. And cool, you've saved yourself, you know, the six bucks that you would have spent renting the HD you know, or, or 4K version of the movie from, from a streaming service. I, I, I like this a lot. I like this a whole lot. Another quick one for you Android TV fans out there, and this is more uh, a feature that's probably coming soon. This is a story that we're going to link to over at 9to5Google, where they got a report from a reader of their blog that said they started seeing an option in the Google Play Store app on their phone when they were looking at an app that could be installed on an Android TV, the install button would now have a drop down button at, at the right side of the button. And when you tap it, it gives you the option to install that app on your Android TV or, or Google TV device. And this is from the phone. I think this is another cool feature. Unfortunately, this looks like something that's just being tested right now because None of the writers over at 9to5Google were able to get this to work. I tried it tonight before the show. I couldn't make it work. But so it, it, it's probably in testing right now, but I, I can't understand why this wouldn't eventually make its way uh, to the store for everybody. Now, there's a couple of other things that I have to presume about this. Presumably, you have to have an Android TV device set up with the same Google account that you're logged into the Play Store on from your phone. That would make a lot of sense. The other thing that I wonder about, though, is what about apps that are only available on Android TV? Will those show up in the Play Store on your phone? And if so, can you, like, filter it somehow to just Android slash Google TV apps? That might be kind of nice. Maybe it's kind of confusing. I'm not entirely sure, but it would be nice to see all of them available from your phone so that you can manage that a little bit easier right with your mobile device. This last one goes in the video section because it is still mostly a video thing, but it's related to gaming. So if you're a fan of anime and an Xbox gamer, then there's a really great new perk for subscribers of Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. And that is that you can get a free 75-day trial, which is a really weird number, to Crunchyroll, which is 
basically the most popular anime streaming service available. I'm not a big anime fan, but all of the anime that I've heard of is on Crunchyroll. Uh, One Piece and My Hero Academia and Demon Slayer, I think it's called. All of those are available on Crunchyroll. And if you are a paying Xbox Game Pass Ultimate subscriber, you get a 75-day trial to this. And it's the mega tier. It's the top tier that Crunchyroll offers. Now, like all of these other trials for any sort of thing that has a subscription, you do have to put in your credit card information and it is set up to automatically renew at the end of the trial. So as we always recommend around here, if you're going to do this, as soon as you put it in, grab your phone, open the calendar, set a reminder for a few days before that subscription renews so that you can remind yourself do I still want to keep paying for this or cancel my trial so that you don't pay for more uh, more of the service than you actually intend to? And as, as a, a last little reminder here, Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, it's not the cheapest thing on the planet. This is the, the most expensive version of Game Pass. It is $15 a month. It gives you uh, access to the Game Pass library on Xbox and on PC. And it gets you cloud game streaming and it's your Xbox Live Gold subscription. So it gives you everything, but it is the most expensive. One last really weird thing about this deal. I mean, because it's not weird that Xbox has a partnership with the streaming service. That's not weird. And it's especially not weird that it's anime because anime is really big in the gamer community. What's weird is that Crunchyroll is owned by... Sony. Yeah. Xbox's biggest competitor. That's super weird. But the two were able to come together for this awesome deal. If you are an anime fan, you should definitely check this out. All right, on to some audio news. Spotify has acquired a company called Findaway, which you've probably never heard of. They are an audiobook platform company. Like, it's kind of hard for me to even describe what this company is, even after reading the article from Engadget and poking around on Findaway's website. They have their hand in a lot of different aspects of audiobook production and distribution. So they have a library of over 325,000 titles, and they have partnerships with huge companies like Apple and Audible, as well as smaller players like Hoopla and Chirp. Hoopla is it's actually a company from the same city that I'm recording from here in in Ohio. And uh, they work with libraries and and things like that. Your library might use the Hoopla app uh, to provide access to uh, eBooks and audiobooks and things like that. And Chirp is a kind of a discount audiobook web store, but they also have their hands in other things like, you know, um, they have like these devices that just have audiobooks preloaded on them. Like they're kind of all over the place. So I don't know exactly what Spotify has in mind for them, uh, especially because Spotify hasn't told anybody what they have in mind for this company, but it's seems pretty clear that Spotify wants to get into audiobooks. And that makes a lot of sense to me, I think. So while Spotify, of course, started as 
a fantastic music streaming service. They, over the last few years, have expanded greatly into podcasting. And they, of course, not only just make podcasts available within their app, they even have exclusive podcasts. The Joe Rogan Show, I think, is still exclusive to Spotify. Maybe it's not. I'm not entirely sure, but they definitely have uh, exclusive podcasts on on Spotify. And the the podcast experience has gotten a lot better on Spotify. Lots of people use Spotify all the time, like my wife, uh, for their way of consuming podcast. And frankly, I think it's it's become one of the easiest ways to share a podcast with somebody. Like if you know somebody uses Spotify and you want to share a particular episode with somebody, it is super easy to send a link straight to a single episode of a podcast to uh, another Spotify user. So it, it it looks to me like Spotify is trying to become the one place for you to go to for all of your audio needs, whether it's music, podcast, or audiobooks. And I'm struggling to think if there's any other major category of audio in you know audio media that you would want to listen to that seems like everything. So I mean I have five or six different apps on my phone that handle all of this stuff. I could potentially just use one. That's kind of awesome, right? <laughs> because I have at least three different audiobook apps on my phone. I already have Spotify for music. I have Pocket Cast for podcast. I could potentially just use one and I like Spotify. So I will be very curious to see uh, where this goes and if Spotify, uh, th- this is the biggest question, will Spotify include that library or a large portion of that audiobook library into the the Spotify premium subscription plan at no extra cost cuz that would be huge because the the biggest competitor in that space is Audible and Audible is like $15 a month for one person i pay $15 a month for a family plan on Spotify so if i were to get audiobooks in there for free, that would be amazing and would definitely uh, continue to keep me a subscriber for a long time. And I think would probably convince a lot of people to switch from being like Audible plus Apple Music or Audible plus Amazon Music and would probably force Amazon to reconsider the cost of Audible and maybe doing some sort of bundling uh, plan between Audible and one of their many different music streaming services. So that's a situation we'll be keeping an eye on for sure, but I don't anticipate hearing anything more uh, from this acquisition until at least early next year. These, These types of deals just take a little while to get everything ironed out, especially when the company being acquired already has so many contracts with other companies. All right, moving on to gaming news. This is almost entirely Xbox related, 
which probably shouldn't be surprising because this week marked the 20th anniversary of Xbox. So for for that event, they did not announce anything about new games, and they told people ahead of time, we're going to have this big event, and we will not be talking about any unannounced you know, new games. Cool. Like, it's probably good to set that expectation. I'm glad they did that. Instead, they largely talked about their history, which meant talking about a lot of older games, and said, uh, hey guys, how about we add... 70 more games to our backwards compatible catalog. 70, seven zero. That brings the total catalog up to over 700 games, I think. It's somewhere around 700 games. It's crazy. All of the new ones that they've added have auto HDR. If you're using uh, one of the newer Xbox consoles, they also have enabled 37 more games. Uh, with the FPS boost functionality. That is the the feature that will increase the frames per second of the games being played. And they've added that FPS boost capability to Xbox Cloud Gaming. So if you're playing games that way, and you might be thinking, oh, who who cares? Like you're playing cloud gaming on a phone. Well, if you haven't noticed, a lot of phones nowadays have high refresh screens on them. So if you can be playing one of these games at 90 frames per second and your phone displays at 90 frames per second, then that's going to look buttery smooth. It's going to look really, really nice. So all of that is great news. Maybe the little bit of downer news here is they're done. They're not going to be adding any more games to their back compat library. So. If there's there's a particular game that you've been waiting and waiting and waiting for since was it 2015 that they enabled that they announced backwards compatibility for the Xbox One? Well, they're done. That game that you've been hoping for, it's not coming. And this this had to happen eventually, right? Like they weren't just going to keep adding more and more old games, right? Because at this point, it's gotta be pretty much every game that people have been requesting. Now, I'm sure there's some that some people would want that aren't available yet. If that's the case, it's almost entirely because of licensing problems. And a lot of times it's just uh, a problem with licensing of the music that's in the game. And that, that is the has has been one of the biggest sticking points with some of these older games is that if they licensed popular music inside of the game well those licenses had time limits on those contracts so they had to stop working and in some cases they fixed that problem by just removing the game from the stores instead of patching it out of the game because it's a lot easier for them to just stop selling it than having to 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 go and patch a 15 year old game so that's kind of unfortunate, but man, with a library that big, you've probably got most of the stuff that you're looking for. And while you might be thinking, yeah, but but what about the future? Well, th- this isn't a problem going forward because the Xbox Series X and S, they already will play every single game that was made and released 
for the Xbox One generation of consoles, and it seems like their plan is to just continue to do that forever. So whatever is next after the Xbox Series X, I I would anticipate that every game that runs on an Xbox Series X right now will run on the next thing. So then you'll have five generations of games running on those those platforms. So uh, I, I, I think this is all uh, pretty, pretty good news. The other surprise that they announced during this event was that the Halo Infinite multiplayer mode launched that day. So you can go and play Halo Infinite multiplayer right now. And how much is that going to cost you? Nothing. Not a single penny. And I'm not just saying like, oh, it's free because you obviously have Game Pass. No. Halo Infinite's multiplayer is free for everybody on Xbox and PC. So if you've been waiting for Halo Infinite multiplayer, you can go and start playing right now. Now, it's it's considered beta because the game's official release date is still December 8th, but they've started the first season of their Battle Pass. Yes, of course, it's got a Battle Pass, and it's available now. Uh, the I fired it up last night just to try it out, but it, I really needed to go to bed, so I only played one match against bots. And I've, I'm not exactly the world's biggest Halo player. It seemed good to me. And everybody else that I've talked to who has played it said, yeah, it's really good. Most of the people are, are complaining about the Battle Pass progression right now, that it, it's way too slow, but that the actual gameplay itself is really, really good. So go and check out Halo Infinite for free on Xbox or Windows PC right now. And that's not like a, a limited time thing. The the Halo Infinite multiplayer will always be free. So go and, and check that out. The last little bit of Xbox news is that they are making some more changes to the Xbox PC app. So if you are an Xbox gamer on PC, then they're going to make things a little bit easier for you in two ways. So one is that while... For a long time, you've been able to pick which hard drive in your computer you wanted to install games to. They're now finally going to give you the opportunity to choose which folder you want to install your games to. And this is this is really nice. You know, people get particular about where they want to store their games. And uh, they also, like for me, in, in my main desktop PC, I've got an SSD as my primary hard drive with with the operating system on it and then i've got a really large spinning disk hard drive in it well the games that i care the most about i put those on my ssd but my ssd isn't that big so it can only be a couple of games that i care the most about and with this functionality i ought to be able to install the games that i care the most about on the ssd and the other ones on this spinny disk drive so That'll all be really nice coming soon to the Xbox PC app. Our last real quick gaming story is just a a quick update on the Netflix gaming stuff that we've been talking about the last few episodes. Netflix gaming is now available on Apple devices. So if you've got an iPhone or an iPad, you can get access to the same five games that were released on Android a few weeks ago. So that's two Stranger Things games and then three 
more casual games, all available right now on your Apple device. You can look for them in the store and download them that way. Or if you've already got the Netflix app installed on your device, you can access the games right from the Netflix app. Now, either way, once you get into them, they're going to require you to log in with your Netflix account, but then you can just continue to launch them from from Netflix or install them individually like any other game on your device and play them to your heart's content. So there you go, Apple fans, you get your Netflix games. So on to what's going on in my entertainment center. So first up is actually some hardware that's going on in my entertainment center. So a few weeks ago, we got a message from one of our listeners asking, hey guys, I haven't heard anything about WISA in a long time. WISA being the organization that has been building the technology to do wireless home theater speaker solutions. So they build the the chips and the technology that goes in the wireless transceivers and in the wireless speakers. This has been around for a few years. Uh, At CES this year, I met with the WISA folks and talked about their latest device. They decided to just make their own wireless transceiver called the SoundSend. And then we didn't really hear a lot from them. And, you know, like, like I said, a, a few weeks ago, one of, one of our listeners here messaged the show and said, what's going on with WISA? We haven't heard from this in a while. And some of the speakers from some of their partners aren't in stock anymore. Is this thing dead? It's not dead. It is still very much around. You can still buy speakers and the sound send is available. It's had a bunch of software updates. And I thought, you know, I think it's time for me to give this a try. So I reached out to the to the folks at WISA and, and asked them if they would send me a sound send to put it through its paces to do a review for you all. And they did that. So I got that last week. I've hooked it up to the Axum speakers that I reviewed a long time ago. And I'm not going to give you my full review right now because I'm not totally done reviewing it. So, but at a high level, like this is a nice little device. It's basically like the the size of a small saucer, you know, like you would put under your, your coffee cup. Uh, it's powered via USB. I haven't checked to see if if most TVs supply enough current to power it straight from your TV, but it does include a little wall charger for it. And then it's got an HDMI port or an optical audio port. Most people would probably want to hook this up to a TV through HDMI using ARC or EARC. ARC is audio return channel, uh, just like you would a sound bar. And the, the process is pretty simple. You plug this in, you plug all of your speakers into power. Uh, they're wireless speakers, so all they require is being plugged into the wall for power. You do not have to run wires to your TV. And open up the app. They have their own app on iOS and Android. It'll find all of the speakers and detect them. It might not know exactly where they are in your room, so you can configure that. You can tell it what sort of arrangement you have, whether it's a 
Yes, it does support Atmos. Uh, You've got all sorts of options with this thing. And then uh, options for, you know, trimming volume levels on different channels based on how far away those speakers are and things like that. Um, Lots and lots of features here. It also is compatible with the LG WISA Ready TVs, where I believe in that situation, you don't even need to use the app. You can do all of the setup stuff right from your TV. I don't have an LG TV currently, so I can't try that yet. Uh, It also works with the Xbox. I'm planning to try that, but I haven't yet. So that the use case there would be you're hooking your Xbox up to uh, maybe a TV that just doesn't have audio return channel, or you're hooking your Xbox up to a large gaming monitor, in which case it wouldn't have audio return channel, uh, but you still want really awesome surround sound. So that that's the use cases there. So it's giving me the the audio quality I want. You know, I uh, while there's still a lot of things for me to dig into here. What I can tell you is I have had zero issues with like audio sync. You know, uh, with you know, some things that you might expect to see might be uh, a, a big lag between when you hear the audio versus when you're seeing the lips move. You know, you want to hear the the audio as as the lips are moving or else that gets really, uh, really confusing. Um, haven't had any issues there. Haven't had any issues with speakers getting unpaired or anything like that. It's, you know, from that perspective, everything has gone smoothly so far, but a full review will be coming soon. Then on the gaming side, I've played a lot over the last couple of weeks, a fair amount of NHL. Joe and I also finished It Takes Two. That game was so fun, so fun, uh, made by Hazelight Studios. I've talked about it a couple of times on the show already. It's, it is a game that is required to be played with two players either on the same couch or online. It's really fun. Um, uh, But part of me wonders, like, is the game really that fun? Or, uh, you know, how much of of it factors into the fact that I'm playing with my friend Joe, the guy that I used to do uh, the, the Story Players podcast with, the two of us just have a lot of fun playing games together, and this was this was a great one that that we really really enjoyed. I've also been playing more games with my eight year old. She's really gotten back into into Minecraft now that it's available on PC uh, through Game Pass. So we've been playing some Minecraft together, where she'll grab the laptop and I'll play on the Xbox. I also uh, wanted to see if she'd be interested in playing Minecraft Dungeons. So we've played a little bit of that. She's enjoyed that also. And then I've also, I teased this last time, uh, started playing Forza Horizon 5. It's really good. You know, the the racing is great. It looks fantastic. Uh, A lot of really nice quality of life improvements in, in that game from some of the previous ones. I had some issues with some of the online multiplayer stuff that I'm hoping they're going to get fixed relatively soon. Just had some issues where like the four of us got on, tried making a party, 
and it just wasn't working. So then somebody else hosted the party and then it did all work. So some bugs there on the multiplayer side of Forza Horizon 5. But overall, like there's nothing I can say about this game that hasn't already been said. It's phenomenal. IGN gave it a 10. That's a 10 out of 10. It's that good. It really is that good. If if you like driving games at all, because this isn't this isn't necessarily a racing game because you can just get into cars and drive around the open world and and do stupid stuff and jump off of mountains and and just have lots of fun plus do lots of different racing activities plus funny car based driving games. It's just a really really great game and it's available on Xbox Game Pass on console and PC. Well, through the beauty of podcasting, about 20 minutes have elapsed since the last time you heard me talking. And that's because, uh, you know, no Richard tonight. And I went and saw The Eternals this weekend with Jen. So, and I can't take any credit. This is Jen's idea. Uh, Brought her back onto the show to talk about The Eternals. So welcome back, Jen Pollard. Thank you. And you're welcome for turning this into a Marvel podcast. Yeah, that's not anything I ever wanted this show to be, but our fans appreciate it, and they appreciate you. So, it was a Marvel-filled weekend for our family. How many Marvel movies did you watch this weekend? So, I watched The Eternals twice, and then I watched um, Endgame, and what's the one before that? Infinity War? Infinity War. Yep, so I watched both of those this weekend. Okay, so, so about Eternals 12, twice and two Avengers movies. Yeah, about 12 total hours of Avenger Marvel content. Right. So you saw Eternals twice in one weekend. You must have thought it was phenomenal. Um, I did. I liked it. <laughs> but um, I took our older daughter and her best friend on Saturday, and then Josh and I went to see it on Sunday. So I actually, I am glad. Honestly, that I got to see it twice in a weekend because seeing it twice back to back helped me kind of understand the storyline a lot better than I think that I would have otherwise. Yeah, because it's kind of a confusing movie. Now, again, we're not going to spoil like anything, but it's kind of a confusing story. Well, and I think what we talked about was that the they're kind of setting up this next stage of Marvel movies. And so... Um, this is kind of like an introduct- introductory movie where you're kind of figuring out the characters, how they're all interrelated, how they relate to the larger story. And so trying to piece all that together in a really um, cohesive story, I have to imagine, was really hard. And there was a lot happening in that movie. Right. Because there's, I don't even remember how many Eternals characters there are. Like eight? Seven or eight? Seven or eight. Yeah. yeah. A lot. And. With the Avengers movies, we got a bunch of mainstream movies for just individual characters. Like there was an Iron Man movie, a Hulk movie, a Thor movie, all of those before the first Avengers movie. Right. Yes. And so that kind of set you up and let you kind of fall in love with the characters a little bit before they got all together and all those personalities clashed. And with this, it's just an immediate, you know, clash of personalities and um, interactions and stuff. And that did for sure make it different than watching the first Avengers. Yeah. And with, with the Avengers movies, you at least like most people at least had an idea of who those characters were. 
Like most people have no freaking clue who the Eternals are. No, not at, like I have never heard of the Eternals before I saw the trailer. And as soon as I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, yeah, I totally want to see this. I was way into it. But um, I mean, I'm not I didn't ever read the comic books, so I don't really know a whole lot of the backstory. So even. Well, let's let's be clear. You've never read any comic books. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I was actually thinking, though, that. I wish that there was a novelization of the comic books because I would totally read that, but I don't like, I find the comic book style difficult to read. So Mm. if there's a novelization of the Marvel comic books, any of them tell me because I'm all the way into it. Yeah. I, I don't. And by that, you mean like no pictures, just reading text, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Because they, they do like smash a whole bunch of comic books together into I'll call them omnibus or no, you know, things like that, that or the graphic novel versions of, of things, but they're just really long comic books. Right. And like, I want the internal dialogue. I want the, and then oh, you he get said, that in and comic then she books. said, yeah, but do you though? You do. Oh, I don't know. That's just a, a thought bubble instead of a speech <laughs> bubble. That's just curly instead of smooth. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> but probably not what you're looking for. No, I don't think so. So Okay, so Eternals. Anyway, yeah. What'd you think? Um, so I really enjoy the cast of the movie. I really enjoy the racial and body type and gender and um sexuality diversity of the cast. I think it's so good. And that alone makes me excited for this franchise and makes me invested in this franchise. Like I want to keep watching it just to continue to support that kind of um, media. So, and that mm-hmm. kind of representation. So I'm all the way invested for a long time um, because of that. So um, I think the storyline has a lot of potential to be compelling. I think it'll kind of, We'll see how the second one goes or the, or the, you know, the character focused ones, if they decide to do those. I mean, I'm excited about those. Um, I really like the main character of Cersei. I think she's really interesting. So I'm excited about that. Um, I personally really enjoy the fact that it's, there's so much relation to like Greek mythology because as I've mentioned a bunch of times, um, I, read and have read multiple times the Percy Jackson series. And thusly, I have a tremendous back catalog of useless Greek mythology facts <laughs> floating around in my head that really came in uh, handy when I was watching Eternals because it helped me kind of understand uh, where people were from and like what their gifts were even before they kind of revealed them on screen. So if you have a background in greek mythology or or if you want to read the percy jackson series real quick before you go see eternals that will really serve you well read an entire book series real quick it's really good so (laughs) yes you should so i loved the diversity too i think it's great there is one kind of obvious problem with the diversity though okay and this isn't a spoiler to say that these characters are aliens they are not from planet earth Correct. So why do they represent so many of the different Earth nationalities? <laughs> like that's that. A really good question. That part doesn't actually make a lot of like, but it, 
to me, that's one of those things that I'm fine to suspend disbelief or whatever because it's good for us. I wonder if they would look like the dominant species. Is that the word? Dominant life form of whatever planet or whatever that they're from. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that they visited. Yes. Oh, well. At the very beginning of the movie, you see them like on a spaceship or whatever. Correct. And they looked like Earthlings. Yeah, but they were going to Earth. Okay, so that so they hit the they they jumped in the Earthling, you know, <laughs> the the machine that changes what they look like <laughs> before hopping into the spaceship. Okay, well, and I, like, and I I could I could be fine with that. I have more to say about that, but I can't say it without spoilers, so I will say that to you off air. But. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. So yeah, diversity, all of that stuff is cool. Story I thought was kind of boring. Like I, I'll yeah. be honest, there were moments when I was like dozing off during this movie. For sure, it has some boring moments. Like for sure, um, because again, it's all the setup. Like that's all this movie is. It is all just setup, and I don't. But see, I don't think it's entirely setup. Like there was still a, a pretty big plot to this story yeah but all the others but there's around that plot is a tremendous amount of relationship building between the characters yeah and, and just and, regular character development right stuff. and yeah. that is kind of boring sometimes mm-hmm. so yeah I'm, but like i mean i think i said to you i was more excited about the end credits <laughs> <laughs> the first end credit. Um, so my daughter and I went to see it first. And like we had a moment during the first end credit where we both like audibly gasped out loud. And it was and like it was very exciting. I'm very excited. So and, like and to to not be any sort of spoilers, I will say it wasn't because of some comic book nerddom <laughs> type thing. It was for a completely different reason. No, that is actually not true. It was no, it really wasn't. I didn't even know who it was, uh, who the actor was. Hmm. It was because of the family relationship. Okay, I was like, oh, uh, <gasps> okay, yeah. The, I mean, that part was interesting. It was very, yeah, oh, uh, very interesting. So, if if you are going to go see this movie, there are two. Yes scenes it like one kind of during the credits and one at the very end of the credits so you are going to be hanging around the theater for a while but you really have to stay for both yes and then i want you to google eternals end credits explained because (laughs) it really it helps so much to kind of understand um because you really get a pretty clear picture of where they're going with this uh once you kind of understand what the end credits are, which is very exciting. Like, and so those end credits made me excited for the next phase of this franchise. Like, really excited. Okay. I'm, like, I'm fully invested in this. So one. you're super excited. Yes, you're invested. I am. I couldn't care less. Like, I know. And I it just pains my soul. <laughs> the the story for this movie was just okay, and the way that they decide to solve the main problem, I think, is so incredibly problematic and and stupid like it's it, to me it's not the correct decision right and it only leads to really bad outcomes in my opinion now i could be wrong like comic books do all sorts of crazy things they can find other solutions to the problems that seem very obvious to right. me but yeah i'm not i'm not super excited like the only thing that has me 
interested in the next movie is like you said at the beginning of all of this to support this cast mm-hmm. and and to support putting lots of different types of people in it. like having a superhero who's deaf like that's kind of awesome right. like mm-hmm. there's no reason that couldn't be done and we've had the flash like the flash is, a, or is it the flash no i don't know uh one of those stupid dc comics uh <laughs> They they have a blind actor, not Daredevil. That's who it is. Who maybe is Marvel? I don't know. I don't care about Daredevil. Um, but he's blind. But I can't really think of any other superheroes that are disabled in some way. Um, I guess Professor Xavier for my favorite uh, comic book series. But it's the only that, comic book series you like, apparently. Yeah, obviously the best one. So. Yeah, uh, we'll watch them because you're going to want to see them. And so we'll go and see them together. But I'm I'm not super excited. I think the thing that I've realized is that I basically am just a bigger comic book fan than you are. You're <laughs> a bigger Marvel <laughs> fan than I am, at least. Yeah. Yeah. I Well, and like, you know, those are my, my type of movies, right? right? Like, it's the hero thing. It's the, you know, like everybody working together to overcome an obstacle thing. It's the bad guy or the good guys win in the end thing, you know, like all of that is a hundred percent my wheelhouse. And that it can do it without like grotesque violence and yes. all that other stuff. I mean, stuff. stuff blows up, but usually it's alien, so it's okay. Right. And it's not like too <laughs> it, it's, it's not, not gory. depressing, it's right. not gory, it's not too stressful. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So like that is very give, much give me the gore and the stress and, and all of the depression and I will love that movie. I know, right? You yeah, you <laughs> remember the time we went to see um the Children of Men? No, well oh god, that one was terrible. <laughs> I hate that movie so much. No, it was some president movie. It was uh, um about a terrorist attack on the White House or something. And, oh yeah. Like and, White House Down or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. Right. Yeah. Black Hawk whatever. It wasn't Black Hawk Down. No. Um but anyway, and it was so violent that like I got sick to my stomach and seriously <laughs> considered walking out. And like I yeah. think even you said oh, I didn't that like was that movie. too much. It was, it was way too much. So much. Yeah. But like I can only handle so much. Like yeah. Jason Bourne is my limit. Right. That's yeah, that's where right. I set my Yeah, I have my limits. Like I didn't enjoy the John Wick movies and things like mm-hmm. and which you you haven't even watched. So right. yeah. Uh, anything you want to say about the other two Avengers movies? Well, so the only thing um, so it was very interesting. So our older daughter is 13 and so she's just kind of now getting into Marvel. And so it's been interesting to watch movies with her. Um, she still won't watch Ant-Man either, which I'm a little salty about if I'm being sucks. honest. It is a good movie. And there is a lot of back history that really makes the last two movies better, but whatever, it's fine. So but she's also been watching things like out of order. Yes. She saw, WandaVision right. before watching these two Avengers. Like, how do you watch anything that's after the snap <laughs> well, before? Watch, like, she's all over the place. Right. And so anyway, so it was really interesting to watch um, the last two movies with her to kind of watch them through her eyes as she, like, realized things or things happened or, you know, like, those really... Um, touching or pivotal or sad moments to watch her watch those but it was my favorite i mean this is always my favorite part anyway because oh it's like the ultimate in like superhero-ness but getting to watch her watch steve rogers say avengers assemble oh 
man, like right <laughs> in the feels of my heart. So that was really fun. That was a fun way to spend a weekend when all of us kind of felt under the weather and we spent a lot of time laying on the couch. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was really, it was a nice way to spend some time and to get to kind of see them for the first time all over again. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I've officially decided that Endgame is my favorite Marvel movie. Really? Yeah. More than Black Panther. Yeah. I love it so much. More than Shang-Chi. You know how I reread the last like five or three books of the Harry Potter series at least once a year? <laughs> I feel like I will like I feel like Endgame is up there for me. And Endgame is the last one, right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's so good. So good. Yeah, the one yeah, before that my, is depressing. It has my favorite scene. <laughs> you are the worst. I am the person. worst. I, just in case people haven't seen it, I won't say what it is, but it's near the end. And uh, I, I was quite happy. Because he's the worst. I am the worst. I could. Mm. All right. Well, thank you for coming back on. Absolutely. And, and letting us know. Well, well, you know, uh, it, it was obviously less than 12 years uh, <laughs> uh, in between your appearances. And I think that we can at least have you on for Marvel's Marvel Absolutely, movies. Absolutely. For yeah. sure. Yes. I will be your Marvel correspondent. You know, we still need to watch Black Widow. I know. We do. Yeah, maybe we should do that this weekend. Okay. That sounds good. Yeah, so I would like an official title, and I would like a plaque that says Jen Pollard, Marvel Correspondent you know, for I've, Entertainment 2.0. I've got 12 years into this show, and I don't have a plaque. Uh, whose fault is that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like that's something you can rectify for yourself. Potentially. <laughs> well, now I know what you're getting for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. All right, well, thanks. Thank everybody. You. Yeah, thanks for joining us. It was fun. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. So if you want to get a hold of us, we are on Twitter. Richard is at Richard Gunther. I'm at Josh Pollard. And we're on Twitter and Instagram and, you know, all all of the other socials. You can find all of that information over in the show notes over at thedigitalmediazone.com. We'll have links to all of the stories that we talked about, of course. And uh, you could Come back and listen to this show live. We normally record it live using Twitch. Uh, and there is a, a chat room that you can be a part of the show while we record it. I'm not sure what the schedule is going to look like next week because of Thanksgiving. Uh, but again, follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to us on Twitch to be notified of those live shows and when they're going to happen. But they're typically Tuesday nights at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Well, that's going to do it for episode 571. I'm Josh Pollard, and I was joined for a little while by Jen Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios.